Thank you. Great to be with you. PJ uh, St. Paul sends his regards. One of our team is down in Hatfield with a team of uh, 15, I think, he's taken down there. I think half the size of the church have gone uh, down to see them. So he sends his regards. He's out traveling. We often love sending teams. In fact, we had a team out on the streets yesterday of TSMers uh, training for supernatural ministry. Anyone go out yesterday? Face some fears, a few of you. Here's one story that came in. Uh, a couple of us were praying for a group of young guys, Chris and Luke, in their late teens perhaps. We prophesied that God was making, over one of them, that God was making them a leader of the pack. It turns out he's just joined the army. We also prophesied over Chris, who never knew his dad. They both felt very encouraged. We felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to tell them about God's love and purpose. We asked if they would like to invite Jesus into their lives, and they did. So we led them. Luke first, and then Chris, into the arms of Jesus. Luke told me privately that he'd never been religious and didn't really believe in God, but the prophetic words stirred something in his heart. As we prayed, he felt a warmth in his chest, butterflies in his stomach. He was impacted by how much God revealed about his identity. The second highlight was a couple of girls, one named Shannon. God clearly marked her out as being spiritual, which I shared, which surprised her that we knew this. She'd been exploring spirituality on the internet. We shared with her that God had a purer and more powerful spiritual reality than she could find elsewhere. Among other encouraging words, God gave us a word of knowledge about having nightmares which we prayed about. She agreed to open her heart to God and explore a relationship with Him. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Come on. That's just one of the stories, so that's really exciting. And so if you've joined us, you need to know we're a community of people on every stage of their journey towards faith and in faith and relationship with Christ. Some of us have been following Jesus for many, many years. Some have not even begun that journey yet. They're just exploring some. It's just very, very new, one or two days or even weeks. And so we are a family together like that. You might be, there might be some things here that are unfamiliar to you, things that we sing and do and say, but just hang around. We've all been on a journey. At some, I was sitting in a seat like you at one point thinking, what on earth is this? going on right here and that, that's the reality God loves to take us from every background and build a family together and we're all on the journey and we're all making mistakes and on that note I want to start this week's message <laughs> because I want to start really with a, an apology God has been really speaking to us as a team and to me in particular about the fact of money and um, I uh, realized for the first time, although I've been reading the Bible for many, many years, that 15% of what Jesus said was about the theme of money. 15%. If you translate that into sermons, that means out of 52 sermons in every year, eight would be on the theme of money. I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, we do maybe one or two or, I mean... I do not like talking about money. I, in fact, I hate talking about money. I do it because you have to and because you ought to, but I hate talking about Anyone else with me here? Is this just me? I can't stand it. And God spoke to me very clearly. When I, when I read this, another statistic, out of the Bible, there are 2,350 verses on money. <laughs> That is twice the number of verses on faith and prayer combined on money. It is staggering. And as I realized these things, I realized that something has been wrong in my heart. And God spoke to me and he said, Simon, you've got to the, the place of obedience on this issue, but not to the place of delight. Oof. What does it say in Psalms 40? It says this, delight he said, I delight to do your will, O God. 
And God spoke to me, he says, Simon, on the, on the issue of money, you've got to the place of obedience. You know, as a Christian, you come in totally disobedient as far as money's concerned. You know, when you, get, when you come to faith in Christ, you're like, God, you're Lord of all, just not my money. No, 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 but everything else you can have, but not my money. So that, anyone else start like that? I started like that. But then you get to this reality where God starts, you could, they're just 2,350 verses. I mean, you're hitting it all over the place. All right, all right, right. So you start to shift, you start to become obedient. But there is a journey from obedience to delight. I delight to do your will, O oh God. There's a different... It's all very quiet in here. You're not giving me, you're not giving me much. And you know... Thank you. And you know, the, the Bible, Jesus was radical on money. What, what you know, the story of Zacchaeus, this, this um, tax collector, he, he radically turns his life around, and then what happens? He gives half his money to the poor. And what does Jesus say? Not just, well done, or that's a good idea. He says, today salvation has come to this house. So Jesus measures his spirituality based on his response in his money. You think, well, maybe that's just, a, just an example. Look at John the Baptist, who came before Jesus, who set the way for Jesus. What happened with him? The crowds come to him. They say, how can we know that we have re repented, that we've changed? How can we know that we're entering the kingdom of God? There's three groups of people. The first, he says, share with the poor. The second, the tax collectors, he says, stop ripping people off. The third, the soldiers, he says, be content with your wages and stop stealing from people. Every single one, he addresses what? Their money. <laughs> There's something going on. You know, I, I had, when, when you see this in the scriptures, you start to see something radical goes on with the early disciples. Disciples about their finances. I had a friend of mine, he, he came to faith in, in Christ at university and he was totally from a witchcraft background. Yeah, I mean, it was his salvation was a, a radical moment because we were in a meeting and he turned to me and said, I'd talk, taken him to this meeting, he'd never been to church before. He turned to me and said, don't let that man come anywhere near me. I was like, that's a bit odd. I mean, some of you are feeling like that about me, but uh, he says, don't let that man come anywhere near me. And I, and I said, which man? And as I turned, the man who was leading the meeting was walking across the room and walked straight towards us. He's like, that man, don't let him come near me. And I said, why not? And as I said that, my friend flew out of his seat across three seats and hit the wall at the back of the room. I was like, where did he go? Literally was propelled across the room and slid down the wall as God delivered him a massive, massive freedom in this meeting. Well, that's how he came to faith in Christ. Well, well, it was one of those. Anyone else? No, I mean, that was his journey. That was like radical conversion right there. Well, well, then his response, though, to that was, he said, I've got loads of witchcraft stuff. What do I do with it? I said, well, in the Bible, they, they made a big bonfire and burned it. He said, I don't, want to, I don't want to take it. He said, I could give it to the charity shop. I said, oh, he said, I don't feel comfortable. No one else should read it. I said, okay, yeah. Well, let's, he said, I've, said, I've got an old washing machine in the back garden. We were students. We, you do that sort of thing when you're a student. I said, let's burn it in there. So we had a bonfire in the old washing machine in the back garden of all his witchcraft stuff. So that was his... And then he was like, a few weeks later, he's like, he, said, he said, you don't know, though. He said, I was into crystals. He said, I've got thousands of pounds of crystals. What should I do with them? I don't feel happy selling them. He said, I'm going to throw them in the river. Would you come with me? So we were standing by the side of the river a few days later, chucking these crystals. And he's saying, I can't believe I'm doing this. These are worth thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds. He's dumping them in the river as we, oh, it was quite fun, actually. We're lobbing these crystals in the river. There's something radical that happens when we come to this place of the gospel and our finances. What's the point? There is a fund fundamental connection between our spirituality and our money. Something connected it between the two. 
And that's what we want to uh, explore. And so I guess as a leader and as on behalf of leadership, I want to apologize because we have not led you, I feel like we've not led you guys well on this theme. We've not taught you thoroughly on this theme. And I want to, uh, we're going to go into a four-week series on this, looking at this subject to do the job thoroughly. Because this was one of Jesus' primary discipleship measures. This was one of his primary discipleship uh, 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 angles with people. And so we're going to take this series. For some of you, you've never heard teaching on this before. Get ready. <laughs> Be prepared. For others, you have heard stuff like this before. But I want to ask you the question, have you settled with obedience or have you moved through to delight? When it comes to money, are you in obedience, you know, kind of gritted teeth obedience, or are you through to the place of delight? I delight to do your will, O oh God, when it comes to my money. Let's take a moment. Let's pray, shall we? We need help, don't we? We need help. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and what you've done in us. And we pray, Lord, as we... I, I don't want to do this, God. I really don't. I really don't. I, I, this is pure, bloody-minded obedience at this point. But I do pray, God, that you would bring us to the place of delight yes, yes. in talking about money, in the reality of our money and our discipleship. I pray, God, that you bring us all to the place of delight where we can say with the psalmist, I delight to do your will, O God. Yes. Not just doing it because it's the right thing to do, but I actually believe that I delight to do it. Yes. We just pray, come Holy Spirit, do it in us. In Jesus' name. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If not, it'll come up on the screen. This is what uh, Paul, the apostle, one of the great church leaders, early church leaders, wrote to his uh, associate, his friend, his child in the Lord, who was also leading churches on his behalf, Timothy. In just a few verses that we'll read. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. There's an arrogance that comes with wealth. That's what Paul's saying. And he's saying, if you're rich... To charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, they are to be rich in good works, they are to be generous, and they are to be ready to share, storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. And there's two principles I want to draw out of there. The first is this, that God owns everything, and I am simply his money manager. <laughs> That's the first thing that Paul starts with. You've got, you got to ask the question, who's he writing to? He says, to the rich. Now, obviously, there's two ways of looking at that. In one sense, we are all rich. If you're in this room, you are rich. I, 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 that was a reality for me when I went to Kenya when I was 24 years of age, and I stood in the, the manager of a company's home. He was the manager of, a, of an African company's home, and I stood there in his home. He's invited me into his house, and it's a dirt floor with a, 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 a plastic matting on the floor with a single picture on the wall, and I suddenly realise I'm a poor student in the UK, I've got no money, I'm rich. <laughs> so one, in one sense, we're all rich when it comes to this. But Paul's obviously looking in particular to the richest in this community he's writing to, and he's saying to that, that top 10%, I'm writing these particular words, but do you know what? The principles that he's writing actually apply to all of us. And he starts with this reality. He says this, Set your hope on God who richly provides. What's he saying? God is the source of everything. When it comes to money, the first principle is God owns everything. You know, there's the story of George Best, isn't it? He, George Best, the multi-millionaire uh, footballer, and he, he said this at the end of his life, I spent a lot of money on booze, birds and fast cars, the rest I just squandered. 
That was his famous quote. I spent a lot of money on booze, birds and fast cars, the rest I just squandered. He realised he'd wasted his money. Compare that to John Wesley. John Wesley, the great British reformer and preacher, he was told one time a man came riding up to him on his horse, out of breath, panicked, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, your house has just burned to the ground. Wesley was away on a preaching tour. Wesley's response after considering was this, no, it was the Lord's house which burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. <laughs> How do you get to that point? Was it just flippant? Was it just a religious thing to say? Actually, no. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to God. Haggai 2, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, you were bought for a price. God owns everything. <laughs> he owns everything, and whenever we think like owners, we make a mistake. We become the Christian version of Gollum. My precious. <laughs> Just wring your hands with me for a moment and do your best Gollum impression because you're, it's in there somewhere. My precious. My pre Go on, join with me. My precious. You've seen the movie. My precious. When we get to that point... Now, we don't do that, do we? We don't do that, but that's what comes, that's what's in there. It's mine. But God says, it's mine. It belongs to me. And, and this reality has to strike home that we are simply God's investment managers. It all belongs to him, and he has given it to us. He's given it to us to invest. He has given us resources, not just money actually, time, our gifts, our energy. You are just a steward. Everything you have in terms of that makes up who you are belongs to God. It's his and we are just his investment managers. And, and what does Paul say about how we're to handle God's money, his resources? What does he say? Well, firstly, good news. He says, enjoy them. Hallelujah, some good news at last. I thought this was all going to be about giving. Oh, there's a bright silver lining in this cloud. <laughs> he says, enjoy them. This is not, you know, there are some in the, in the Christian world who say, no, 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 you've got, to, you've got to, everyone must give it all away. We must take vows of poverty. We must live it without any possessions whatsoever. There are, there are some who would teach that for the whole. Now, there are some who are called to that, but you know what? If everyone did that, who would support those who had done that? <laughs> Jesus did not command everyone to give everything away. That was not what he could. He did speak specifically to one individual about that, but that was not a blanket command. Give everything away, live in poverty, live with no possessions. He did not, did not speak like that. In fact, Paul says the opposite. We're to enjoy the things that God has given us. You know, I like gadgets, unashamedly. I know some people laugh at me and mock me until they need help, I notice. <laughs> until they need help. 
the future belongs to me, my friends. Uh, then, then, they, then the mocking goes off their faces. I love gadgets. I enjoy them. I like take, giving presents to my kids, taking them on holiday. I like those things. Should I feel guilty as a believer about them, that there are others in the world who don't enjoy that? No. Enjoy them. Paul says enjoy them. This is not some asceticism where we, we all need to walk around in rags. Otherwise, we should feel guilty. No, Paul says, enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. And that includes money. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I do enjoy it. Just be honest for a moment. I do enjoy it. Just be honest. Just be honest. You know you want to say that. You've you've known for a while, but you just feel guilty. I do enjoy it, and that's okay. Paul says, enjoy them. But, he says, do good with them. Enjoy them, but do good with them. If all you do is enjoy them, sooner or later you get a bad taste in your mouth. Sooner or later it starts to feel hollow, particularly with our money. Paul says, no, not just enjoy them, but also do good with them. And he says, be generous, be willing to share. As Rick Warren said, I don't think it's a sin to be rich, I think it's a sin to die rich. (laughs) I love that. I don't think it's a sin to be rich. I think it's a sin to die rich. What's he saying? Enjoy them. Give them away. (laughs) Give them away. You know, he and his wife famously decided very early when they they had no money at all to increase what they gave to God 1% a year. He now gives 90% of his income away every year. as they faithfully increase what they give. It's a radical journey. And God calls us to be generous. And do you know what he particularly calls us to be generous with? The things closest to our hearts. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? It's the things that are closest to the hearts. I remember about five years ago, my laptop, it, was just, it just had it. My church laptop, I just had it. And, and so there's nothing that grates with me more than old technology. It just like sends a shiver down my spine. If it's if anything older than six months, I start to get twitchy. And so this laptop, I'd, I'd carefully prepared the, the budget the year before, planning, planning. I knew that I, I, you know, I need a laptop, I need it to, to work, so I knew, I'd carefully planned, I knew there was enough money there, I'd made it aside, and then when the budget year switched over, I didn't do it straight away, I waited a couple of days, maybe a week, and I said, Roy, I think I need a new laptop, you know, we budgeted for it last year, can I get a new laptop? He's like, comes, he leaves it a week because he likes to make me suffer, and, and he comes back, yep, I think it's okay, it's fine, go get a new budget. So I looked online, I checked it carefully, I, I, I investigated which one I was going to get, I bought the laptop, it took a day or two, hate that thing, to deliver, and then it came, and I got it, and I unboxed it, and as I did, God spoke to me and says, I want you to give that laptop away to another staff member who needs it. Have you ever seen those seagulls in Finding Nemo? (laughs) Mine, 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 mine. That's what came out of me. That was my prayer. Mine, mine, mine. Anyone else ever pray the seagull prayer? Mine, 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 mine. And it was that, like, he could have asked any, there's loads of other staff members who, they'd have said, oh yeah, fine, give it away, I don't care. I don't care, but I care. And he wants that thing. Enjoy it, but be generous, particularly that thing that really could endanger, I hate to say it, endanger of being an idol. That thing, he's saying, be generous with it. Be willing to be generous. So I gave it away through gritted teeth. 
You know, there's a reality here when we realize God owns it all. I'm just managing it on his path. There's an obedience that comes. And you know, one of the things that we've learned on this, this journey as well, we've, uh, we're in this situation at the moment where we, someone stole a huge amount of money off of us as a family, and uh, we have been blown away by people's generosity. I don't know how people cope outside of the church, actually. I mean, it's just been amazing. People have given us time, money, resources. It's just been phenomenal. And in that season, we're praying, God, what are, you, what are you doing here? And he's teaching us about not just giving generosity, but receiving generosity. That's hard for some here. Some of us, it's easier to give, but it's harder to receive. We've learned, we're learning the hard way to receive. We have no choice right now but to receive and say, thank you very much. You're so, we can't repay in any way. Normally, we like to, well, we can do something to repay. No, we can't. We just have to receive. But at the same time, he's speaking to us about pouring out what you need. You know, there's this story, and in in I do a story with the kids every, every morning. I try and read, most mornings I try and read a Bible story. And we did this story of Elijah. And when Elijah gets the people, they're in this, this um, drought, this massive drought. And then the, the, the reason is because of their idolatry. They've followed other gods. And we're reading this story, I've read it hundreds and hundreds of times. They're reading this story, uh, reading this story. And as they, in the story, if you recall it, they get to this point where, where God says, build the altar. Elijah says, uh, build the altar. And then I want you to pour out water. Like, it's like 12 kind of uh, vats worth of water. So the, uh, the altar is soaked. Now, I'd already, I'd already always seen that well that was to make it as difficult as possible God was going to light this thing from heaven that's how I'd always seen where it was just make it as difficult as possible Caleb I mean he's he's a prophet I tell you he just sees it from a different angle and he says isn't it strange he said the very thing they needed was the very thing God told them to pour out (laughs) Caroline and I were both like in the kitchen whoa there's a moment of revelation there I'd never ever seen that before pour out what you need what, is, what did Jesus say? Give, and it will be given to you. Pour out what you need. He, uh, they needed rain. They needed water. What do you pour out? Water. The very thing that you need. There's something about the principles of God's money management, which is totally on end compared to the way that we, we, we say, hoard what you need, give other stuff away. God says, no, pour out what you need. The very thing you need, pour it out. And it changes stuff. The second thing is, is this, the second principle that Paul alludes to is this. Heaven, not earth, is my true home and my true treasure is eternal. Paul writes this, if you're rich in this present age, rich in this present age, notice that, in this present age, in this present age, what's he saying? There's more than one age. (laughs) There's a present age, which is this life, but there is an age to come. So what's he saying? If you're rich in this present age, don't forget there is an age to come. This is not your home. This is not your home. Heaven is. And this is not your real treasure. Your real treasure is in the age to come. Jesus tells this parable about a man on a journey in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. Randy Alcon, who wrote the book The Treasure Principle, which I'll talk about in a moment, but this is what he said about that story. Do you feel sorry for the traveller? After all, his discovery cost him everything. 
But we aren't to pity this man, we are to envy him. His sacrifice pales in comparison to his reward. Consider the cost to benefit ratio. The benefits far outweigh the cost. The traveller made short-term sacrifices to obtain a long-term reward. It cost him everything he owned, you might lament. Yes, but it gained him everything that mattered. If we miss the phrase, in his joy, he sold everything. We miss everything. The man wasn't exchanging lesser treasures for greater treasures out of drudgery, but out of joy. He would have been a fool not to do exactly what he did. Christ's story about the treasure in the field is an object lesson concerning heavenly treasure. Of course, no matter how great the value of earthly fortune, it will be worthless in eternity. Paul writes, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Why? Because they're bad? No, because they don't last. They don't last. Not because they're bad, but because they don't last. Don't set your hope on earthly riches. Paul says they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why? Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Jesus again, Matthew 6, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth, rust and thieves destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't store up treasure on earth because it's bad. No, because it doesn't last. It doesn't make it past the grave. You know, J.D. Rockefeller, one of the greatest, uh, richest men who'd ever lived, died. And someone asked his accountant, how much did he leave? And his accountant accountant said, he left everything. (laughs) How much did he leave? He left everything. You cannot take it with you. But Paul says, and Jesus says, you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Invest in eternal things. Store up treasure. This is what Stephen King said. I gave you this quote a few, uh, six months or so ago, but it's very, very profound. A couple of years ago, I found out what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road, covered in mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass on your hair, no one seems to accept MasterCard. I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We might be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all, the mostly, or all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's still going to be a quarter past getting late when you t- whether you're telling your time on a Timex or a Rolex. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will begin to go wrong. And the only three things that you've got that you can really call your own are your body, your spirit, and your mind. So I want you to consider making your life, your one life, a long gift to others. Why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we're going to take it with us? Please. Giving is a way of taking the focus off the money we make and putting it back where it belongs, on the lives that we lead and the families that we raise. But time and spirit repays. It helps us remember that we may be going out broke, but right now we're doing okay. Right now we have the power to do great good for others and for ourselves. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you begin 
I think you'll find in the end that you've got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. <laughs> That's Stephen King. I think he's an atheist. I'm not sure. But the reality is he's got it. He's understood it. And the, the Bible is quite clear on our principles, our responsibilities, our life of giving. He talks about our tithe, which is the first 10% of our income, which should go to the storehouse, the local church you're part of. It talks about offerings, which is what we want to give to God above our tithe. Voluntary, it talks often about that. And then lastly, it talks about generosity. It talks about what you want to give on top of that. Never, no one of those lines is comfortable. <laughs> Each one gets more and more painful, but the reality is there's something about our spirituality that's linked to our money, and Jesus would not let us off the hook, however uncomfortable it feels to us. God owns everything. I'm his money manager. Heaven, not earth, is my home, and my true treasure is eternal. These principles have to get into our, our heads. And so on your seats, there is a, a card I'm going to take Phil's, but I'm going to give it back to him. And on your card, I, on this card, there is a, a, a challenge. And so in this next uh, three months, I'd urge you to join with us in taking another step on your, in your discipleship, in this challenge. What, what's the next step for you? For some of you, you've never given before, I'd urge you to commit to give for the first time. That's going to be your challenge. For some of you, you, you give regularly. You've given occasionally, but your challenge is to commit to give regularly. For some, you give regularly, but you've never got to the point of tithing. That's kind of not where you've got to. I'd urge you to think about it. And for some, your next step, you tithe, you do it out of obedience, but there's a moment of recognizing, I want to get to the point of delight, where I want to become an extravagant giver. That's the next step. For me, and, and we want to be allow you to be creative. So there's a blank line. If you want to go off piste, and that's who you are, just go off piste and fill in your own challenge. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and say, God, when it comes to discipleship and money, how am I going? Where am I going to grow? What is the next step for me? You know, our aim so often in life is to get away with giving the least. But when we become a disciple of the one who gave the most, our mind has to get changed. And no longer with getting away with the least, we have to start thinking, God, how can I give the most? Just to the church, that's not what this is about. This is about becoming radical disciples when it comes to our finances. So if you want to join with us on this, you can take a moment to fill this card in, in this service. But... This isn't going away. God is speaking to us. You know, last week, we were meant to start this series, and uh, Phil and I met this guy, this uh, couple, Tom and Susie, last weekend. And as we were chatting with them, I realized, we need to get these guys to speak. King's Arms needs to meet these guys. They were just amazing. Anyone here last week? Do you just love them? They were just amazing. I just like, and so Phil and I were wrestling. We were like, we really felt God speak to us about this series. We've got to do this series, but can we afford to drop a week? We've got, you know, this is our one chance to get them to speak, for you guys to meet them. We thought, you know what? We're going to trust God with this series. We know that he's spoken. Let's get them to speak. Well, in the first service, Tom did one particular message. In the second service, he did a full-on giving preach. If you came to the 9.30, you were lucky, because last week, he went for it. I mean, he just went for it, double barrel. 
he said to me, I was like, because it was a totally different message from the 9, 9.30. I don't know, maybe he thinks you guys are okay, I don't know. But he, second service, he just went for it. And it, I was thinking, this is, this is so bizarre. He has no clue where we are. He has no clue what we're meant to be doing today. And he is just, because I didn't give him a subject, I didn't even tell him what we were, what, what we cancelled. I didn't even say to him that I was meant to be speaking. I, I, we just said, go for it, bring whatever's on your heart. He goes for it in this. And afterwards, he sat down. He, I, I turned to him and said, that was amazing. Where did that come from? That was different. He said, I was up there thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Why am I bringing this message? <laughs> God is speaking to us, guys. He is doing something in our hearts. So it's time for us to respond. Are we going to move from this place of just sheer obedience? Are we going to move to the place of delight? I delight to do your will, O oh God. When it comes to our money, Jesus, we hate speaking about it. Jesus loves speaking about it. I'm getting used to the idea.